This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. Into the end zone for the touchdown. Hollywood Brown has been spectacular. Connor to the five and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Bring it on, bring it on. Touchdown, Saban Collins. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. True or false? Because both of you walked the streets of Philadelphia, did you not? Darren Urban, Danny Sarek here on Cardinals Underground, Pauly Podcast. Were you not out on Broad Street for a good stretch of last weekend? I was definitely out and about. Don't know if I would say it would be a good stretch, but I was out and about. Same. Were you rocking any Cardinals gear when you were out? Hell no. In the mean streets of Philadelphia. You don't want to be test- taking your life in your hands like that in Philadelphia. I, uh, I did have some Cardinals gear on when I was walking around, and I did have um, a couple of um, Poor planning, <clears throat> Paul. passionate Eagles fans tell me that good thing you're not wearing a Cowboys jacket or uh, you not, might not make it back to your hotel. This was before the game. Yeah. Imagine what they would have said after the game. That's right. Uh, we didn't have to imagine because we witnessed and heard what they were saying to their own team when they left the game as losers in week 17. And it was uh, something fierce. I mean, you think you thought the reception for Jonathan Gannon was going to be severe? What the Eagles rained down on their own team leaving the field? Forget the visitors tunnel. The home team tunnel needed extra security. It was before the game ended. It was at a point where the Eagles had to call a timeout because the offense couldn't get a play call in fast enough when I was down on the field the last couple of minutes, and, and they were booing pretty loud at that point, too. It was – I had asked defensive coordinator Nick Rollis when he talked to the media if he took any sort of pride just going back to the link where he had coached with head coach Jonathan Gannon. You know, do you take any pride that because of your performance the Eagles fans are booing their own team? He said, no, no, but – I would take pride. I was in there. I didn't play a single snap, and I'm like, this is pretty cool. You want to know why he's not taking any pride? Because, quite frankly, that's it's not like it's out of the ordinary for them to boo I their know. own people. So, uh, who, show of hands, who's a fan of headlines in journalism? You know, newspaper headlines and so forth. Uh, I'm a fan. I'm a fan I'm of a headlines, fan. yeah. If you don't have headlines, yeah. it's going to be tough well, to no, know I'm what's in the story. I'm a fan of the song no. Headlines by Drake. The Okay. Did you know when Darren Urban ran Philadelphia Freedom? Oh, uh, yes, I did know that. Do you that. know that song? Yes, because actually I made Darren turn around on the plane ride home and I said, I really like this Elton John reference. I've seen Elton John in person, like in concert before. Yeah, she before. did compliment me for that. I had to make yeah, sure. That was a nice one. Because three weeks ago in the Big Red Rage going into the Chicago game, I made reference to the Dennis Green rant and the Bears are who he thought they were and all that. And Amari DiMercato looked at me and. See, that's not good. Amari, have you ever heard of Dennis Green? I, I've you spent, ever heard of the rant, the pounding of, of the podium, any of, that, any of that? In the, it, zero, absolutely zero recollection. I have spent my entire professional life in journalism and some of my pre-professional life in journalism, and I do feel like I'm a fairly decent headline writer. You don't really need to write, well, I mean, headlines are what they are. I'm still writing headlines for the website and everything, but okay, so that th- is one thing I feel like I do pretty well. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Expert Headline expert Darren Urban. Here it was in the Philadelphia Inquirer the next morning, quote, Jonathan Gannon guts the Eagles and outcoaches the free-falling Nick Sirianni. That was the headline. I mean, pretty strong. It's pretty factual. <laughs> I, I don't know about the guts part. There's no question Jonathan Gannon outcoached the Eagles coaching staff. That was the one thing that I got. That there was a lot of things we were going to cover today and a lot of things that we uh, noticed from that game. But number one was that Jonathan Gannon and his coaching staff had a plan to somehow beat the Eagles, a team that, quite frankly, is better than them on most days. And they worked that to a T from from running the clock down to controlling the time of possession to being smart with their offensive calls all the way back, and I want to get into this later, all the way down to that onside kick call. Like They knew what the hell they were doing, and that was a – in a lot of ways, a pristine coaching job by that, Coach Gannon. That headline's got to be the nicest thing said or written about Gannon since the Super Bowl. Yes. Good call. Good call, Danny. 
You mean uh, in Philadelphia? In Philadelphia, yes. yes. Because I try to figure out a way to ask that question post-game radio. Okay, how can I ask a question that basically asserts that you just outcoached the opponent? Because and he's have not, him answer. Because he's not going to answer it. No, he's not. So the question was, uh, JG, what was it like to coach against a scheme you know really well and personnel you know really well? And I just try and he, he paused, but once again, he didn't answer it. Yeah. Because, yes, it did seem like he had the competitive advantage, which goes back to what we said a week ago, and that was when Nick Sirianni implored the fans to make JG, quote, feel freaking uncomfortable, I think that was revealing in that he knew that Gannon knew how to go about beating the Eagles. And maybe it just exposed um, – a bit of anxiety on the part of Sirianni because to go out there with the with the players the Cardinals had in their front seven on defense compared to the names the Eagles have in the front seven on defense, all the first-rounders and pro bowlers, there is no comparison. The Cardinals ran out there basically a lineup you would field in August against some of those luminaries on the Eagles' defense, and yet the Cardinals possessed the ball for nearly 40 minutes of the game. Didn't punt in the game for the first time since 2006 and scored on scored a touchdown on all four of their second-half possessions. Yeah, the whole free-falling Sirianni thing, there's some legitimacy to that. Well, again, I, I, think, I think in some ways it was the only way you're going to win. I mean, when the Eagles did have the ball, they were pretty successful, relatively speaking. Yep. Um, so you needed to do that takeaway. But, I mean, that's the other thing that helped. Yeah, there's familiarity for Jonathan Gannon, but let's face it, the Eagles weren't exactly playing – top-notch football coming into that game so I'm sure that that played into it but I mean you start wondering about we we we, we hear the radio cut of Sidney Brown the the rookie Eagles defensive back yeah, that returned at 99 right. yards and he's like we just lost the worst team in the NFL all that tells me is well one it tells me I'm like well you're wrong because they weren't but whatever um but the other thing it tells me is is as you you got multiple players that were overlooking the Cardinals in that game period yeah, and, and I thought it was impressive the way that Arizona stuck in it. I mean, you have 21 minutes on time of possession in the first half. You're still down 15 points. You have a pick six that's returned for a 99-yard touchdown based off clear miscommunication between your quarterback and Kyler Murray and wide receiver Michael Wilson, and they were able to stay in it, mentally didn't let themselves get down. We've talked about that before in other situations where in the past – didn't seem like that was a team that could do that. Now, I have said before, I, I don't did not think that this was a team truly built to come from behind, which in certain ways I still stand by that when you look at the lack of star power or personnel. It's very clear when it comes to the effort and the mentality and staying focused and lasered in, this team is built and has the capability to do that. But you're absolutely right. Past Cardinals teams, heck, most teams, you're at the Eagles in a non-playoff season and you give up a 99-yard pick six, not only deflating but so critical on the scoreboard, how many teams are able to overcome something like that? Well, <laughs> there you're down 21 to 6, you give up a 99-yard interception return and two touchdown catches to the corpse of Julio Jones. <laughs> I mean that that can break a person. Yeah. And you're 0 for 2 in the red zone, right? You get it's all deflating at the very least. But if there's one thing that this team is now, as we enter the season finale, they're tough mentally and physically. And that's not necessarily us. Sidney Brown said that afterwards. We got out physical, just like the Steelers' T.J. Watt said and Mike Tomlin said after the Cardinals went into Pittsburgh. We got our rears kicked. And the similarity is that you go into Pittsburgh, guys had a little extra juice to win it for J James Conner, and in this one, win it for. Jonathan Gannon, there's a little extra juice. So you're trying to say this week they need to win one for Tyreek Smith? <laughs> trying to think who else? Uh, the jo offensive lineman? Joy Blunt. Joy Blunt. Uh, that's, <laughs> Which, by the way, yeah. quick side story. No, beating the 12s is enough, Darren. That's, that's just understood. Yeah. They're so, doing this for Paul. A quick, side, right. a quick side story on Joy Blunt. <laughs> he had... He played like four defensive snaps, but he was in on the Hail Mary. He got his first career interception. He kept the football, by the way. I'm, I know he did because <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, talking yeah. to him Already after the game it. and he was still he holding still, it. Still holding he it. hadn't even completely That's undressed great. and it was still under his arm when I'm like, he got a second. That's and I've great. talked to him before, so he, he kind of knew. But he was like, he started talking and he realized he started rambling. And he's like, I, I, I'm sorry. He goes, I could talk forever right now. <laughs>
They should have got a, like a, a waist up shot of him in the shower, still holding the football. That would have been like hilarious. That would have been good stuff. But for this Cardinals team to be that physical, right? I mean, that's one. How do you mask a lack of talent? Yeah. You go out there and you bludgeon the other team and you outcoach him. Like, for example, this is maybe the only real inside football example. Because how do you really assess whether another team got outcoached? It's more the eyeball test than anything, unless. You know, but the one piece of intel that I do have, the touchdown that made it 28-all, the touchdown pass to Michael Wilson, fourth and four from the five. They realized Eagles are bringing it. They're bringing the house. They're going to bring more than we can block. So guess what? The O-line and Kyler made an adjustment that had been discussed during the week. If we have to let one guy go free and there's going to be a free runner, make it Fletcher Cox, number 91, because he's older. He's bigger, he's slower. Wow. It's going to take That's a good that's a good nugget there, Paul. It's it, like you're a reporter. It's going to take longer to to get to Kyler yeah, Murray. Yeah. So when he broke free, that was by design. Kyler backpedaled, backpedaled and then had just enough time to get rid of it. Now, if that's Hassan Reddick, does Kyler even get rid of that pass? So this that's the kind of football IQ that makes me really bullish on seasons to come if you can coach like that. That and the familiarity that defensive coordinator Nick Rollis and head coach Jonathan Gannon have with the personnel and the way that Philly, their offense, likes to play. I do think it was also impressive. I know it was third down and then Philly ended up converting on the fourth down, but to stop a one-yard tush-push, but this Cardinals defense that not a lot of teams can do again. I know that the, the Eagles ended up getting it. And then to also force Philly to do a fake tush-push because – like. Those that are was things, pretty, pretty interesting. Right? Like, you got to give credit to the way that the coaching staff and the players were prepared and the way they were executing the game plan. So I asked a little bit about that as well, and I don't know if there's anything to do with the fact that J.G. and Nick Ross were on that Eagles staff and the Eagles do it better than anyone else, but the plan was, and, and, and it's interesting because the Cardinals messed it up the first time they went into the tush push. What happened? They were offsides. The plan was to get as humanly close as possible and as allowable to the Philly O-line. Do anything to stymie the get-off. And ultimately, and every team tries to do this, get lower than them. Just come off the ball as close as you can so they can't get any sort of push whatsoever and they can't come off the ball with any sort of surge. And it did work that one time, like you said. See, the, the thing is, too, the brotherly shove has been so successful for the Eagles, you almost have nothing to lose. Like, you're already counting on it probably beating you, so you might as well do whatever the hell you want to try and do within within the rules to try and stop it because you're not hurting yourself. There's no risk involved. Like, with every other defensive play, there's probably an element of risk that, okay, if we try and do this, especially in short yardage, we could get burned long. That's not going to happen, so you might as well do whatever. As opposed to the onside kick. How much risk was involved with the onside kick? So here's here was my thought. And I I was – obviously I didn't know it was coming. In fact, Danny and I were talking about it. Like, I, I, we were on the elevator going down. Uh, yeah, we didn't see that live. I didn't see it live. I didn't even know what happened. when. I, by the time I had heard what was going on, I heard, I heard the radio call in the bowels of the stadium from Philly, and they were talking about how the Cardinals had been off sides – and the Eagles were going to get it at the 40, and I'm like, what, what are we talking about? And then I finally understood it. But It was 28 all, by the way, five and a half yes. minutes ago. Cardinals tie the game, but then elect for the onside Tried kick. Try for the onside kick. Now, there's a couple things here. Uh, one, in real time, I, I started realizing, okay, this takes me back to my old days. When I first started covering the Cardinals, I was also in the middle for the East Valley Tribune. I was also, in, also the beat writer for the Arizona Rattlers who were a very, very good team at the time. They were in the championship almost every year. And, in fact, I covered a arena bowl where the Rattlers beat Kurt Warner in the Iowa Barnstormers. And oh, that's good stuff. I covered that game and wow. interviewed Kurt Warner after oh, the game. Oh, my goodness. So, anyways, I'm old. Um, but in those days, Danny White was the Rattlers head coach. And, and you know, arena football is all about scoring. Uh, you're, you're never punting. You're always going for it on fourth down. You might try a long field goal, but you're always going for it. So, in, at the end of close games, it's more like basketball – you want to have the last shot. So if it was a close game and it was like back and forth for touchdowns, Danny White would, and you had to kick off on this 55-yard field, you had to kick off from your own goal line. You could still onside kick it. 
So Danny hmm. White would onside kick it. Maybe you get the ball back, but even if they recover it, they they only got 10 yards to go for a touchdown, and you're guaranteeing you're getting the ball back for the last possession or whatever. That's what I thought of when the Cardinals did that. I didn't know at the time. I asked Gannon about it later. But all I could think of was like, didn't he cut you off when you asked the question? Didn't you start your question with like, even though it didn't work? Yes. And then he said, he goes, oh, it worked. It worked. That's because good. that was exactly what they wanted. They, There was a chance the Eagles were going to score a touchdown there and not be held to a field goal. The field goal, holding the, the, the team to a field goal was important for the Cardinals defense, obviously, to win that game. But the whole idea was whether the Eagles scored a field goal or a touchdown on a short field, it was going to give Kyler Murray enough time so that the Eagles couldn't just bleed out the rest of the clock and take it down in a field goal, which there was a good chance of that happening if you kick it deep and they got a great kicker and they could just bleed it all the way down until they kicked a field goal on the last play, and that's what they didn't want. And I understand there's people arguing with me online when I said it was a great play, and they're like, it wasn't a great play. They could have, bl- they could have bled the clock anyways, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to disagree. I think in the situation the Cardinals were in, I thought that was a really great move, and we asked Jeff Rogers about it, and in fact – it wasn't like we're doing this for the hell of it and just so it's a short field. They saw some things on film where they thought they might be able to recover. It didn't work out, but it wasn't like it was done in a vacuum. But was, I, I love all the aspects of it. It was really good game management. And and we know from this coaching staff, they're going to be aggressive. We have seen that with the two-point conversions or temps. We've seen that with fourth down attempts. And, and, and I'm not sure how much of that is if it's evenly split of looking at analytics or getting a feel for the game, but it's very clear this coaching staff will be aggressive. So to me, it's fitting, and I don't have a yeah. problem if you're going to have that trust in your defense and have the trust in your quarterback and how he's leading your offense to give yourself a chance to score no matter what happens with the Eagles, but you want to give yourself that chance so that you can control your own destiny to a certain extent of you're making sure that you have another opportunity to put points on the board. I do think it was a hell of a lot smarter than, let's say, going for two from the seven-yard line after your first Ooh. attempt is successful and call back on a penalty. Yeah, there's... um. There's aggressive and then there's reckless. Yes. And yeah, making that, decisions that Lions, out of anger. <laughs> yeah, the Lions scenario. Because uh, what I thought of when they did it at first, it was so jarring and, and so atypical in the moment, right? To go for an onside kick in that situation yes. in a tie game. Oh, sure. First thing I thought of was wow, Cardinals are the only team in the NFL this year with a successful onside kick. Correct. Are they like. Smelling themselves right now? I mean, what's going on? And then I thought, next thing I thought of was, okay, no. But guess what? You need a defensive stop in any scenario. Even if you kick it deep, you still need a defensive stop. So regardless of where the opponent is on the field, your D needs a stop. So why not give yourself a chance at an onside kick and possible possession of the football? And we are also talking about, and this is where the analytics meets where the game is and your gut which is Gannon was watching his offense slice through the Eagles like butter. Whatever the Eagles were going to do, you were feeling pretty confident that as long as Kyler Murray had a couple minutes on the clock, you were going to yep. be able to get something done. And, and it was impressive, those last couple of plays by the Cardinals' defense of you're having the right type of coverage. And it wasn't so much about the pressure, but you were – Hertz was staying in the pocket, and then when he scrambled, there was enough pressure towards him to where he was scrambling backwards and he was having to go down on his own. Like, that was impressive what we were seeing. Kyler-esque. A little. (laughs) That's what I kept thinking of. I was like, wow, I didn't know other quarterbacks kind of did that. Well, so, all right. What about Kyler? Did he figure it out? Was that second half some sort of epiphany in this offense? Obviously, he has two Pro Bowls on his resume and a Rookie of the Year, but he hasn't looked like that. In a long time. To That's me, his first 100 passer rating game since week 9, 2022. To wow. me, what stands out are the characteristics of leadership and the things you want to see in a franchise quarterback. And there's a couple examples. And the first one is that pick six. To throw that 99-yard return. First of all, I love the fact that Michael Wilson was close to catching yeah, him almost, by the end zone. almost got him. Right, almost. ran the whole field. To mentally... The second half, stay in it, 
trust your receiver that you had clear miscommunication with, with that two-point conversion, with the touchdown, which Kyler talked about post-game, knowing how good it felt on the sideline after those for Michael Wilson, just to kind of, you know, get, get that validation probably after having those kinds of mistakes. We saw something similar early in the season when Kyler had an interception that was intended for Trey McBride. It took him a little bit of time to go back to Trey. I feel like we're seeing Kyler really trust his receivers. And and that was evident to me in this game of you're working. Now, look, I, I know he probably doesn't have a lot of options when you're talking about the depth, but the fact that he continued to trust Wilson and throw the ball to him and create good opportunities for him shows that type of leadership. Also, two minute warning. When Gannon's talking to Kyler and sees the look in his eyes, which Kyler calls his killer instinct, and then Gannon says in the headset to the coaches, oh yeah, we're winning this. That's, that, is, that is a true instinct. That is what you want out of a quarterback is that confidence and that ability of whether it's him and his legs or his arm and his receivers. I just thought the way that he commanded the offense, I thought there were some good moments where not only under center, but when Kyler was scrambling, he was scrambling forward through the pocket. It wasn't just what we've seen in the past of him running backwards, losing a couple yards, and you're hoping he doesn't take a, sca- a sack and have a 10, 15, 20-yard difference of those yards. I, I just feel like we're seeing a lot of those leadership aspects that Kyler has taken a lot of flack for in the past, and you're seeing that in how he is trusting his receivers, he is staying focused, he's leading this team to comeback victories, and he's doing it in a way that you would want from your franchise quarterback. I, I had asked I had asked Kyler about Gannon saying him, and he goes, oh, he came to tell me to let's go win this. He goes, he didn't need to tell me that. And my, my favorite part was as he's talking about this, and he goes, at that point, that's just the killer instinct you have to have in this sport. Not only sport, but life for me. And I'm thinking, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's like the old Ricky Bobby, right? If you ain't first, you're last. So Speaking of killer instinct, Kyler kicked Danny's butt in some word game on the plane. Okay. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. That's not entirely true. Uh, what's the story then? So he it beat was, you. He had the killer instinct. He, I beat him in another game. Oh. Okay. So, real quick, it was the longest flight. It was a pretty long flight. Four back. and a half hours. Closer to like five, though. It was a long flight. Either way, I sit next to our team photographer Caitlin Epps on the plane, and I see kept, when you sit next to Wolf, it's an eight-hour flight. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and I kept looking over at Caitlin. I was like, I'm, I'm getting bored. I'm getting antsy. And she's like, I need to finish my episode. So finally, she finished whatever episode she was watching. And I was Wolf, like, Wolf, I don't care about the 14th century. <laughs> go ahead. I said we need to play games. So we were playing Game Pigeon, which are the games. That, sorry, Paul. When you have an iPhone, they're games that come <laughs> on your phone, and you can wow. play each other. And there's, wow. you know. Pool, battleships, word yeah. game, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. all kinds of stuff. So yeah. Caitlin and I are actually playing cup pong next to each other. Yeah. And Kyler, with the long flight, he was walking down the aisles a couple times. I'm sure just stretching his legs, getting some snacks. Crosby jersey on. Yes. And Caitlin and I sit near the back of the plane by the snacks. So he turns around after making his lap and he's looking over Caitlin's shoulder at her playing. He goes, who are you playing? She goes, Danny. He goes, I want to play. And I was like, well, I'm actually pretty good at the word games. And he goes... I'm really good at those war games. I actually played James Connor when we're on flights too. And I was like, okay. So we played a game called Word Hunt where it gives you a board and there's letters scrambled all over and you have to create words out of those letters. But but the, the letters don't move, like the little tile pieces. So it's a plain board. You just have to find words through that. First game, really bad board. He beat me, but he was like, that doesn't really, really count. Really bad board. It's, there's not a lot of letters in good spots to make a word. So he's like, let's do one more round. So I'm I'm doing the second round and I am cruising. I end up having 70 words that I find in this board. I've got like 22,000 points. I'm thinking there's no way. And Caitlin tells me, she's like, Danny, I was looking like his fingers were moving. So we, we submit the score and Kyler beats me by 100 points, which is equivalent to like one three-letter word. That's, that's the point difference. And I was like, oh my gosh. And he was like, you know, that was really close. I'm going to give that one to you. Then we played another word game called anagrams where you have to unscramble the word, the letters to make words. And I beat him there. So then he walked away. So we're pretty much mm. one in one. Okay. But yes, apparently Kyler and James like to play those game pitching games on the flight home and are pretty good at them. So learned that. And Kyler has quite a background in chess as well. Correct. So uh, any sort of board game, yeah, he's, apparently. Yeah, he's pretty smart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, that's interesting. Pretty smart, pretty competitive. Whether it's just a gridiron or a board game or whatever. Okay, all right. Did Fitz ever get him in chess, by the way, uh, Kyler? Because those two had a, those two squared off a few yeah, times in, in chess. So, 
Uh, all right, so Danny has the killer instinct too, apparently. Uh, that's good. Uh, as for Kyler's performance and what that tells you about him as the Cardinals quarterback going forward, I can't help but think that, you know what, he looked really fluid and really natural under the center. Did he not? Under center, yes. he looked really good. And from the pocket, and the reason I bring up from the pocket before the game, <coughs> what was the word on the street? Oh, every defense now is doing three things to Kyler. They're rushing him so he stays in the pocket. They're throwing zone coverage at him, making him really – so it's not as easy to read his man, right? That's pretty easy. Okay, is your receiver beating the man coverage? And then number three, a lot of post-snap stuff disguising coverages. And the word was the Eagles do a really good job disguising coverages. But the way Kyler throttled him in the second half, 13 of 14, and at that passer rating near 117 and three touchdown passes, I just wonder – I'd love to know – was that the best he's seen the field in a long time? And just how fluid is he in this offense? Because it still looks like he's changing the play quite a bit. It does. So, okay. Which is interesting. Right? So, between Petzing's play calling, which Kyler credited, and you got a first-time offensive coordinator who maybe now you're getting into January, okay, is into the swing of things, knows his personnel, knows his scheme. It was the Pittsburgh game where Jonathan Gannon said, you know, I had a talk with Drew Petzing, and don't be afraid to repeat plays. I'd love to know how many of those run plays that are hitting to the second level is basically the same play. The old B.A. days, hey, 22-23 double, let's go. We'll run it 20 times a game until they stop it. I'd love to know a lot of these answers, but whatever it is, it's working. It was clearly Kyler's best game of the year, his best game in a long time. You know, again, the Eagles seem a little bit off. I don't know if this is the same Eagles team that was playing earlier in the season defensively. Um, but that doesn't matter um, because you're looking, you're you're judging what your quarterback is doing and how your offense is is operating. I, I'm I'm curious to see how this translates to the final game of the year and if they can they can finish it off with. I mean, I don't know if they're going to, but I mean, the Seahawks just gave up 200 plus yards rushing to the Steelers, so I'm pretty sure I know what the first plan is for the Cardinals' offense again this weekend's going to be. Six games in a row, the Seahawks' defense has given up at least 135 yards rushing. So do you think the Cardinals are going to pick up where they left off in Philly? Do you think they're going to pick up where the Steelers left off in Jack stomping the Seahawks? Absolutely. James Conner, 26 carries, 128 rushing yards. He was the first 100-yard rusher the Eagles' defense had allowed in 24 games. Mm. I like what we are seeing in the one-two punch with Connor and with Michael Carter, who is truly more slippery than a stick of butter. The way he is able to juke players so quickly and cut on a dime, and he is fast, he is running through tackles. I feel like that is a really nice balance. It's, It, it feels, when you're watching it, it, it feels like an elevated version of when it was Connor and Chase Edmonds of the different types of running backs and allowing Connor to have a break or change up the pace a little bit. I feel like the more we get a chance to see Carter out there, it feels like a really nice compliment to what Connor does. I 100% agree with that. I also feel like this is, to me, I don't see how James Connor could have be playing better football than he is this season and right now in his whole career. And, and I don't think there's any question that how the Cardinals run their run game and their offense right now works with James Conner better than what Cliff Kingsbury was trying to do. But he just looks fantastic. I mean, he needs, what, 110 yards rushing against the Seahawks to get 1,000, and he missed four games? And there's been, like, what, three other games where we came out of going, why did James Conner only have, like, six carries? Like... That would be one of the most amazing 1,000-yard seasons in a long time. And dare I remind everyone, including myself, the last time we saw James Conner play ball like this in a Cardinals uniform was the first half of 2021, his Pro Bowl season, where he was also averaging five yards a carry. He's number seven right now in the NFL in yards per carry. Cardinals as a team are number two in the NFL in yards per carry. But he missed, what, four, five games? Four, four, four? and a half. Four so, and a half games? So two things. Back in 2021, when he's running it like he's running it now, the Cardinals were 7-0, and 10-2, and then got away from the run game. Now he's 110 yards away from his first 1,000-yard season. So we all know how much that team respects James Conner. Oh, heck yeah. How they battled for him in Pittsburgh. 
I'm predicting they battle for his 1,000-yard season against the Seahawks, who are struggling something fierce with their run defense. So if you're looking for a reason to care and a reason to really bring it in Week 18 for the Arizona Cardinals, James Conner, the way he stalks the sidelines in mean mugs, everyone just feeds off that guy, and they ball for him. I think he's trying to single-handedly change Darren's perspective on long-term running back contracts. How's he doing, Darren? Because uh, <laughs> he's going into a contract year next year, right? Next he's under year. contract. He's, he's, got, he's under contract for Michael year. Carter's under contract. So yes, they're both yes. under contract. And 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 again, this is there were people that were wondering if the Cardinals overpaid for James Conner last year when they gave him the extension, and he didn't. If you were if you recall, I think was it last year when all the running back contract stuff came out? No, yes. it was the beginning of this year. Oh yeah, beginning of this year with Barkley and, and all the the media. Oh, yeah. Jacobs. Yep. And at one point, I remember James Conner being asked about it, and he was on the Zoom call when they all the running backs got was. together, wasn't he? I don't no, think he wasn't. He wasn't on the call. But okay. I mean, I remember his answer being very diplomatic, which was essentially, "Hey, I want to see these guys get their money, but bruh, let's be realistic here, and we're running backs." And and, and look, what people don't realize, if, unless you're around the team, you just don't. What Buda Baker is of the Cardinals' defense being the heartbeat and pulse of that defense, yeah. James Conner is oh, every 100%. bit to the offense. 100%. It's just not a plug-and-play, put-in-another-running-back. Nope. It isn't. They're not the nope. same person. They're, they're just the, – the way the sideline reacts affect – I'm trying to think of a name for this. So Wolf has his spankometer, okay, like the biggest well, – like, Whoa, 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 too much information. Spankometer is the level of physicality on a single play. I don't want HR getting involved here. I want something like the reactometer, the reaxometer, like something like, you know, like the reaction you get on the sideline, but I haven't okay. quite – so you're saying name from a, like yet. a player does something on the field yes. and then how and the, the, si- side how the sideline reacts, reacts to it. Because the power pole from the Philly win was, number one, the game-winning touchdown plunge just because you won the game and everyone went bananas. Number two, the James Conner one-handed catch. <laughs> People just went nuts, jumped off the bench. Oh, my goodness. You know, they're watching the big screen, the whole thing. And then number three was what Michael Carter did to that poor defender in space. <laughs> oh, yeah. Where, in Philly terms, he went Allen Iverson and just broke his ankles on he the crossover. Yes. That was That dude, when he fell, was trying so hard to trip Michael Carter, and he <laughs> couldn't get his legs out there. So, right there, that was... Um, in fact, Michael Carter, like, you know, Kyler was wearing the Sidney Crosby jersey. Michael Carter should have left in an Allen Iverson jersey. That's yeah, really what he should like have done that. based on breaking his ankles. The moment Kyler arrived at the link in a Sidney Crosby Pittsburgh Penguins jersey two blocks away from where the Philadelphia Flyers play we should have known we should have known Kyler was going to go off we should have known the performance he was going to have we should have known the Cardinals were going to win the way win the game because that is a baller move it's a baller move if you win it's a baller move if you win okay Darren I'm just saying don't deflate me right now by the way I wrote down the comments that Michael Wilson made, I believe exclusively to you, Darren Urban, at the end of last week, about how uh, you know the season, the way it started, and then it took a 180. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I, I don't know if that was a one-on-one. Yes, I didn't see him anywhere else. Yes. Exclusive. I bring that up because, uh, you know, look, Kyler was able to figure out the receivers. 14 catches for 143 and a touchdown. Whereas in the previous three games, they had 10 catches for nominal yards on 33 targets. Total. Total. In those three games. In those three games, total. So, Kyler, a big part of this game was Kyler hitting eight different receivers, and the receiver room was actually productive in the past game. But it was interesting to me that Michael Wilson, after the game, said something that Rondell Moore told the media at his locker about a week and a half ago, and that was, (laughs) watch the film and evaluate for yourself. Meaning, we're winning one-on-ones. So, wherever the lack of connection stemmed from, the Cardinals were able to correct that. At the same time, based on what he told you, Darren Urban, where Michael Wilson, uh, let's just say that game was long overdue, when he said, quote, I felt like the season has taken a 180 for me when it started. It was dang near perfect for me, said Michael Wilson. Every throw is a completion, a first down, or an explosive. Now, for some reason, Kyler and I can't complete a pass together. Some is my fault. Some of it is a lack of time together. That was Michael Wilson before the game. Yes. So it's intriguing if you do give Kyler the offseason he didn't have last year, both in the offense and with the receivers, okay, where is this trending by the start of next season? I mean, I was asking Drew Petzing about that 
this week in his press conference. What would it mean to have an entire offseason of real work, of Kyler truly on the field? I mean, Mike, when, when I was talking to Michael Wilson, I mean, again, as a rookie, he didn't practice with Kyler Murray at all until Kyler Murray got back on the field. So they've had very limited time together. And you're having Kyler learning this offense. And Michael Wilson is still trying to get his bearings as an as a NFL receiver. I mean, that's probably not going to result in a lot of great stuff. And so I, it doesn't surprise me that it took time. But I go back to what Danny was saying earlier, which was, you know, he could have gone away after that interception. He could have been frustrated. And instead, the effort was made to, to reintegrate what Michael Wilson was doing. And he ends up making two huge plays, gets a two-point conversion catch, which – was big to tie the game the first time. Then he makes that fourth down, fourth down touchdown catch. And it just – you go back to you can't just plug in a running back, right? What what some people seem to struggle with, and it, it's come up with when you're talking about Connor, it's talking about when you're talking about Kyler and Michael Wilson. We can talk about it in terms of the draft pick and why can't they just lose games. What These are just pyrrhic victories. They don't mean anything because – all it does is cost you draft status. That's all it does. And the the frequency in which those on the outside, sometimes media, sometimes fans, lose sight of the fact that there are humans playing this game and that sometimes you need not only a good running back who can gain six yards on a carry, but also has the, the, the emotion that brings with it that lifts the entire team, like James Conner. Or that sometimes while you have a talented quarterback and a talented rookie wide receiver, there is a human element where they've got to get on the same page or they've got to get past frustrations over what's happening between them. Or in the bigger picture, as we all saw in Philadelphia, when they win a giant game that essentially all it does tangibly is cost them a better draft pick, you need to understand how much intangibly that really means and we all saw what that was on Sunday it's it's all great points Darren we only have one draft with general manager Monty Austin for it when you're looking at the impact of the rookies undrafted rookie free agents free agents that were veterans that were signed here you look at the type of player the effort the technique the type of person the character that they have every single player has been a success in their own way or in their own role. So even if you're dropping, let's say from three to four, if that's where the Cardinals end up with their first round draft pick, from the one year we have with Awesome Ford at the helm, you have no reason other than to believe that they are he and his staff are going to continue to find the right types of players and the right types of people to join this organization. And I do think that we should also shout out Greg Dortch because seven receptions Hell on yeah. seven targets – stayed in bounds, shook off multiple defenders, which put the Cardinals deep into the red zone in a scoring opportunity. He can he continues to show up when his number is called and play yeah. like every down is his last. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the world might doubt Greg Dortch. He does not doubt himself. He, no. He, Light the Dortch. I mean, he is brimming with confidence. He'll look you right in the eye and tell you, hey, give me the ball in a phone booth and I'll make you miss. And when you get him in space – He's lethal, as the Eagles found out the hard way. And the Bears. <laughs> and the Bears. I mean, he's made some yeah. plays. Yes, absolutely. And not just on special teams, but yeah. offense. Yes. When when it has been time to rely on him, he has been there. By the way, when it comes to rookies, the uh, Let the Rooks Cook update desk. Um, Cardinals have 61 starts by rookies, the most in the NFL this season. 12 rookies saw action against Philadelphia, the most for the Cardinals as a franchise <laughs> since 2005. To do that and win the game against a team that's going to be in the playoffs and has 11 wins, that's amazing to it, me. It is. It's, and you know what, as far as the draft order goes, how do you know quarterbacks aren't going to go 1-2-3? How do you know it's not going to be Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels? Heck, how do you know it won't be Bo Nix, Michael Penix? Are you talking about five Marvin players? Harrison? I'm talking if, chance if, Marvin if, if it's Marvin Harrison right, of, you know, or Boss. Three to four. How do you know Harrison's not going to still be there at four or five? This quarterback class is loaded, and there are so many teams who are so desperate also for a franchise quarterback that, A, Cardinals might want to, if Marvin Harrison is their guy, he might easily be available at four. And or if there's still a quarterback on the board, you could still pull the trigger and trade out. I do think it's interesting that the talks have – 
die down about the Cardinals drafting a quarterback. I think a game like Sunday in Philadelphia shows to you that Kyler Murray is your franchise quarterback. I don't think there's a need for a quarterback this draft. And I do think it's interesting those talks have died down. And, and I think they deserve to have died down with what we have seen from Kyler in such a limited time in this offense. I encourage everyone to DVR the season finale of Game Plan, Jonathan Gannon's weekly TV show. It'll air Friday night, 6.30 on 12 News. The manner in which he speaks of Kyler Murray and the strides Kyler has made in the last two months, some great answers that we've yet to hear from the Cardinals head coach. And just based on those answers, which I can't quote exactly right now, uh, I would be shocked if Kyler Murray isn't the quarterback next season. I was already, I was already ninety five percent sure that that was going to happen. I, I now I'm I'm locked in. Listening to Petsing talk about him, and again listening to where they all are. Look, if if Kyler Murray goes four and four in his eight game return this season, there's a good chance the Cardinals' first pick is going to be seven. So, like, and would anybody be surprised if? The Seahawks, who, yeah, they need to win with a Packers loss to make the playoffs. So they still have a chance to make the playoffs. But Stinking Seahawks got help last year when the Lions beat the Packers, and then they backed into the playoffs. And they didn't, but the Seahawks didn't play all that great at home against the Steelers. They got run over. The Cardinals have a chance to run them over again. They're having to come on the road. I mean, would anybody be surprised if the Cardinals win this weekend? I know I wouldn't. No. 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 I mean, Grandma got run over by a reindeer. The Seahawks got run over by the Steelers. And it's quite likely it might happen again here week 18, the season finale. And by the way, in addition to everything else, you know, you get a win. You win out. It means you've won three or last four to end the season, right? Yeah. Um, it verifies the culture and the team building. It demonstrates and proves to everyone in that locker room that where this is going, it works the new culture, everything else. But I think you also need to send a message to the division. It doesn't hurt to not go 0-6 again in the NFC West and let the rest of the division know, uh, you know what, we're not holding your shine box next season. I, uh, I found this comment, and I'm going to be paraphrasing because I don't have it exact, but in Jonathan Gannon's press conference on Monday, New Year's Day, uh, he was asked about, uh, he was essentially asked if he felt like they would be able to keep some of the free agents that they might have because he's developed a good relationship with them. And he didn't say exactly, but my interpretation of how he talked about it was that not only did, was he hopeful that you would be able to keep guys around here that you wanted to keep because they believe in what's going on and because he has a good relationship, but I almost got the vibe like, and I believe that this is also going to kind of permeate outward and we might be able to get some guys in here that have heard good things about how we operate. And I, I think that's where this offseason is going to be really interesting to me. I mean, there's just there is an understandable negativity in certain ways about where the organization has been the last couple of years and being able to bring people in. And, and again, free agency is about money. Let's not get that twisted. Yeah. Nobody's nobody's picking the Chiefs over the Cardinals if the Cardinals are offering three million more dollars a year. So let's not be stupid about this. But I, I do think they have a chance to 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 bring in some key pieces. And we keep talking about the draft when free agency is going to be before the draft, and we might have an idea of what pieces they might be bringing in to bolster certain spots, which might impact who they're taking in the first round. Pass rusher. Oh, you didn't ask for my uh, free advice on. Are you on thinking my, free agency? Yeah, free agency. Is there anybody out there? Anybody well, that's out the there? problem. I don't know if there's going to be no. anybody out there because I, usually those guys don't hit the market. I still think there's a good opportunity if you end up having a trade around the draft where if you don't feel like by the time draft comes around that you've gotten a caliber player that you are looking for from free agency, I do think with the number of picks the Cardinals have, that could be likely of you end up making a trade not just for some picks but for a player and that to me would be a position that would make sense because typically when a star pass rusher hits free agency it costs you a whole lot of money yep. Yep. or they are on the back end of their career and it doesn't really yep. feel like the vibes of where this team is trying to head in terms of signing a veteran at the back end of their career or trying to pay off a big contract and a trade like that if, if it's feasible to right. take over that contract I think that the Cardinals find themselves in a good position with the draft capital they have. I, I will say, and, and it'll depend on who we're talking about, but oftentimes the guys 
who, and let's say we're talking about an edge rusher, if you're talking about trading for a guy like that, usually if it's not the back end of the career, we're talking about a guy who, yeah, he might have been paid, but oftentimes it's a guy who's about to get paid and they don't want to pay it. Chandler Jones like in Chicago, a, Montez, Montez Sweat. Sweat, Chandler Jones. That's why the Cardinals got Chandler Jones is because the Patriots didn't want to pay that. So if you're doing that, you're you're going to be committing to paying whether the guy already has the contract or he's about to have the contract. But I I, I wouldn't rule that out. I think that's a a realistic scenario. I you know again I don't know any names out there who might be in that situation. But. I mean the latest greatest example would be the Detroit Lions. Right, they fixed the offensive line. <laughs> They have a really good offensive line right now, whereas they went decades with a really poor offensive line. Uh, they're not very good at reporting if they're eligible, so there's that. Uh, That's twice, go, Darren. I know. Are you just absolving Brad Allen, the referee, no, Darren? How dare you? Dan, Dan Campbell and Bart kneecaps. But then they got Aiden Hutchinson, who had three sacks in that game, a couple of them against Tyron Smith, right? So, I mean, they added the pass rusher. They fixed the offensive line. That's a tried-and-true formula to rebuilding a team, and I would not be shocked if the Cardinals go that direction this offseason. That's yeah, all I'm saying. Right. I, I think the trenches either side of the ball is going to be a heavy emphasis this offseason. So, by the way, have we given enough props and praise? Have we given any to the Cardinals' offensive line? No. And what they did in that game, what they've done all season long to pave the way for a top-six run game? I mean, you know, you look at – what they're able, and then they were still rotating guys at left guard, but you know Paris Johnson Jr. and some uh, you know going against Hassan Reddick and company, and Will Hernandez Wolf said from the booth it looked like Will Hernandez had like five pancake blocks. I'm gonna I'm gonna apologize right now for Yelda to Yelda Froholt who okay. was a guy when they signed, and then all we talked about when the offseason started was okay he's the placeholder for center right now. I wonder who's gonna be center. I wonder gonna be who's gonna be center. And he's going to end up starting every game and doing a pretty damn good yep. job. The snaps have been good. The communication seems like it's been good. He's a great quote. <laughs> he is a good quote. We had him on the Big Red Rage. If you have a moment, call that up and listen to the uh, Yelda Froholt segment. It's outstanding. We talked about his weight room because that's what he does for fun. Yeah. Lift weights. Yeah. The Desert Viking. Yeah. Magnus Ver Froholt with the old Atlas Stones, like the world's strongest man. He said he's extra motivated now because he's a new dad. So he said he'll actually open the garage door. And he lets the whole neighborhood know that he's in there lifting weights <laughs> and he'll make it extra. He'll grunt and he'll yell because he wants everyone to know that his daughter's dad is the toughest dude on the block. The oh, two of you didn't funny. do that? <laughs> I don't have any daughters. Paul, you getting any ideas? I mean, after after this holiday season, you know, I don't want to get into the whole dad bod thing, okay? I don't want to get into that whole thing. I mean, it's uh, I did I did take a shot at Wolf because it only took him about 37 seconds to ask the weight question to Yelda Froholt, like he always does of every offensive lineman. What like, are you weighing these days? Weigh? Yeah, that kind of thing. I said, Yelda, have you put on 25 pounds this holiday season like Wolf has? And, and Yelda said, no, if I put on 25 pounds, it cost me a fine of about 70 grand because it's in my contract. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a costly extra cookie on the team plane on the way home right there if you're home so yeah or the uh, pizza bagels yeah who's the fan of the pizza bagels it's caitlin caitlin Caitlin. okay they're pretty good though (laughs) i like pizza bagels just not as much as caitlin apparently she's very excited when that was our first mid-flight snack a couple weeks ago and then again this past week but not nearly as much as beating the seahawks let's all can we all agree on that we're gonna do it for you paul i mean come on you you can't have the seahawks back into the playoffs for a second straight year can't have it just can't have it especially after you first game you won the turnover battle three nothing and lost the game that was one of josh dobbs worst performances especially that first half and you didn't have james connor in that first meeting Week seven. These are problems. So hopefully the Seahawks go, oh, wait a minute. Kyler and James Conner are back. This is a different Cardinals team. And then uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, so there you go. Okay. It's the final one of the of the season here, this podcast. It's true. The next podcast we'll have will officially be in the offseason. By the way, I, I do encourage everyone to check out the uh, Jonathan Gannon uh, edition, his final season finale. So we'll see. See how that goes. Uh, I wish I had some great walk-off here at the very end. Of the season or this podcast? But, you know, how do you top what the Cardinals did in Philadelphia, right? Just walking off that field and the whole, um, you know, the whole uh, G and JG standing for the Grinch that stole New Year's, you is know? It, is that Monty Austin for waiting for us outside the door as we <laughs> come out? No, I, I, I was, how was the locker room? Real quick, any anecdotes from the locker room in the victory scene? 
You guys were in there uh, afterwards. Was there anything you, you know, know we heard we especially heard, memorable? Uh, not necessarily. Although you could just tell, it's funny because everybody lingers in the locker room a little bit longer. I mean, there's obviously a, a very different, but I kept thinking of DJ Humphreys, who was on crutches, feeling pretty confident he's not going to play in this finale. But he said it wasn't serious. But you you see the pictures after the game. He was still in very much a good mood right after the game. And when I talked to him and just having him talk to everybody, he didn't look like a guy who was hurt. He looked like a guy yeah. who was reveling in a victory, which which they all were. I mean, ultimately, that's what it came down to. That and Joy Blunt holding the ball. When, when there are teams around the league where they're getting their fourth win in week, I guess what, that was 16? That, that was 17. Six, 17. A lot of times it can feel like, oh, okay, cool, we got one. That's not what it has felt like, and it's not because this team is getting – they're definitely not getting arrogant after only getting four wins. The types of wins that this team is pulling off against the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Steelers – sorry, Falcons, I'm not going to include well, you in that list. They can still make Although the Although that was Kyler's – okay, and that was Kyler's first game back. The types of wins that this team has generated – is the reason why they are acting that way and they have that confidence in the locker room post game. It's not because, oh hey, we just beat the Eagles. It's because they they have that confidence in themselves of they know that is the type of team they can be. And that's what I, I think that, you know, celebration is really about. It's not just about, hey, we beat our head coach's former team on the road, a team that's been a Super Bowl favorite for a couple weeks. You know, it's it's also about them and the types of wins they are having because they played a great game. The Falcons are still mathematically. <laughs> if they if they win and the Buccaneers lose, they win the division. Wow. Don't 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 a tell me. A little bit of a difference between the NFC West and South. Don't tell me it's not realistic. Cardinals can be a playoff contender next year. Then come on now, oh, With seven playoff spots. Come on. And I will say this: you and I have been around this a long time, uh, Paul. I, the when you're rising up, even if you're not great yet, and obviously the Cardinals aren't even mediocre yet. They've got four wins. It's a different vibe. It feels different. It's more enjoyable. The wins are more enjoyable as you go there. I mean, I obviously you'd love to be a team that wins all the time. But I mean, I'm I'm willing to bet this last month has been way more enjoyable for the Cardinals and their players than it has been for the Chiefs. And I think the Chiefs are yep. three and one. True. Expectations. You're right. All right. So we'll leave it with three words: fly, Cardinals, fly. On this edition of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.